Hi, welcome to Healing Chronic Illness with Marley. This is season two. This season, we're going to be interviewing some experts in the field. So join us on our journey back to health and wellness. Hey, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest that I connected with after kind of going down a rabbit hole when I was researching equestrian-assisted therapy for recovering in trauma and mental health issues. And I ran across her work, and I not only became inspired, but very intrigued. In the corporate world, she worked with people who were working, working through and going through difficult times, and she supported them through significant workplace changes, acted kind of as a liaison, I would think, between executive management and the workforce, and like me, she loves horses. So along with her expertise as a corporate leader, she discovered that horses kind of look for the same qualities and leaders that people do. Honesty, fairness, respect, compassion, authenticity, transparency, consistency, clear communication, presence, humility, integrity, accountability, and wisdom, all incredible attributes. So she's merged equine work with a subject that I'm very intrigued by, and it's Dr. Peter Levine's work of somatic experience. So today we have, that was a long intro, <laughs> sorry about that. Welcome, Miss Cindy Jacobs from Australia. Thank you. It's nice to be here. I'm very, very happy to, to know you, Cindy. So if you could just kind of begin to unpack and we can just casually visit about this. Um, you know, what is your personal connection with horses? Why are you a horse lover? And then somatic experiencing, like how did that all come together in your life? And, and how do you use it now? Okay. Um, uh, as you said, I have a career uh, being in the corporate environment and I um, also love horses and I started collecting horses, if you like, um, later in my life. And um, I had about maybe 10, 15 horses at the time. And uh, I was working as an executive coach. So I had scaled my career back down from working full time in a corporate environment to being an executive coach. And I'd come home after working with my clients and go out to my horses. And, and um, I quickly discovered that feeding them didn't give me leadership rights. <laughs> they were like, where'd everybody go? <laughs> so um, I noticed that there was a parallel between, you know, what horses expected me as their leader and the clients that I had and the, the challenges that they were having in their own workforce. And so... I went on this journey of exploring, you know, the similarities, and I'd heard that, uh, you know, people offered equine facilitated programs, and I did do a, a couple of courses with the, the Igala organization. You may have heard of it; it's an American um, uh, an organization, and it gave me enough insight to be able to run some programs, experiential learning programs with corporate clients and that went okay but what surprised me was that people started to open up too much when they mm. were with the horses and I thought <laughs> that was really odd because when you're in the work team you tend right. to be excited and uh, they started getting emotional and opening up and and I the only thing I could think of was that my horses were actually causing people to right to be more open, to just kind of like start to, to unload. And so I didn't have my coaching skills and my corporate skills weren't sufficient to be able to support people uh, mm. as they got deeper. And so I became a transpersonal counselor. So I got a degree in transpersonal counseling and that wasn't enough. <laughs> uh, it, it didn't address the, the trauma component. And so I, um, I then went on to uh, become a somatic experiencing practitioner. 
mm-hmm. so that I could support people through that journey of um, moving through their traumas. And, um, and coming back to the horses, it was the horses that just kept pushing me. In fact, mm. one of my horses used to visit a client in in his dreams, and the horse used wow. to tell her to go further. I'm like, well, how much further? So, mm. so, um, and that was yeah, that was the message, and so that's how I kind of um, I needed those skills to be able to support my clients more effectively. Mm-hmm. So. so that was the beginning of it. And it looks like you have several certifications. Um, why did you choose to go the route of Dr. Levine's work? Um, it's very powerful. It's mm-hmm. very effective. And it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and the, the beauty of this is that uh, SE works with the autonomic nervous system, which is mm-hmm. our fight, fight response. Right. And of course, horses are really, you know, sensitive to fight flight. Mm-hmm. So our nervous systems are quite attuned to the horses. And mm-hmm. so it's an easy fit to bring in the SE work with the, the horses because we have similar nervous systems. Right. So do you... Do you see, um, and I'm going to explain a little bit more on a prior podcast about somatic experiencing and pendulation and things like that, as far as um, how how our bodies work, how our nervous systems um, self-regulate when they're working properly. So can you maybe explain like... Uh, what you've seen or give me some accounts of because you have people come to you and you do you do one-on-one or do you do group or do you do both um when i'm doing deep work it's one-on-one one-on-one right so give me a maybe a bird's eye view of what that looks like with one-on-one work and are you just watching them interact are you asking questions are you having them kind of mirror the animal how does that work and are you trying to do trauma release and walking through those kind of steps and those realizations of moving moving that out of the body tell me how that looks i know that's hard to do without having a visual so can you kind of explain what that looks like yeah um i have 16 horses and they're all at liberty and um it's consistent with my view of trauma that they have rights to their own bodies and they have freedom to move when they need to mm-hmm. right? and so if a horse doesn't feel safe or comfortable with us they're just going to move away from us mm-hmm. they're not going to bite they're not going to kick they're going to move away because that's their first response just like right. ours we mm-hmm. move away and we if we could we move right. away when it feels unsafe and uncomfortable And so um, there's so many layers of this when I'm working with a client. So um, sometimes we just walk around the herd and we chat about uh, trauma and how our bodies uh, respond to an overwhelming event. And Mm -hmm. while we're chatting, uh, the client often pats the horses and I introduce them to the horses. And so that's usually a first uh, session is just getting a sense of the space, getting mm-hmm. a sense of safety. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as they start patting the horse, of course, they're connecting like hard wiring into that nervous system. Yeah. And so the horses, healthy horses, have a, a very um, regulated autonomic nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as we touch them, of course, our bodies are starting to sync to their rhythm and mm-hmm. so that's the most powerful way to actually get a person get a person's nervous system to settle down um, a couple of years ago i worked uh, i i worked with a team of we, we brought a team of horses to a bushfire um zone that had horrific bushfires and mm-hmm. so we worked with survivors, mm-hmm. and one of the survivors 
her whole body was just visually shaking out of control and so there was there was no time to actually introduce and start to like ease her into the session i just brought her straight over to a horse to put your hand on that horse mm. and and just start you know patting the horse and so that act of patting the horse absolutely just settled her down okay. so that she was within her window of tolerance so that we could then start to explore what was going on in fact that that woman um, was planning her suicide after that session she'd already mm -hmm. had a car rigged up and ready to go and um, that session prevented her from going further with that and she actually um, really did a, a 180 degree turnaround and not just from that session we did some more work but mm -hmm. it was the power of the horses to actually bring her back into this window of tolerance so that she could function. Because when you're in that state, of course, your brain is flooded with cortisol and nothing mm -hmm. makes sense. And and um, so you can't reason with someone or support mm -hmm. them when they're right. in that regulated state. And the right. horses are really quick at doing that. Another time, um, so the horses will change their breathing. So no matter what we're doing, they'll slow their breathing down because uh, that slows their heart rate down. Mm -hmm. And when their heart rate is slower, then our bodies, our hearts start to entrain to their heart rhythm. Right. So it, it, it brings us down too. And I've seen the opposite where someone has been so flat and so depressed mm -hmm. that the horse a horse will like get up from laying down, walk over to that person, stand over that person, and start panting like a dog. Panting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Without, without you know any physical exertion, that yeah. horse is chosen to start breathing hard because that horse knows that yeah. that person's body is at risk. For mm -hmm. So um, I've seen that quite a lot. So my sessions are always different, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but once we do the introduction, then we just grab a couple of chairs, we sit down amongst the horses, and then I, I start doing a, a more typical SE session, and the horses just do their thing. You know, they're co-regulating, um, mm -hmm. some of the things I don't have science for, so it's all theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. When they lick their lips, they're responding to a release yeah. and crack. So right. that one I do. You know, so when the person's nervous system is calming and settling, mm -hmm. there's a release of pressure. Right. The horses will it. Mm -hmm. um, they do a lot of yawning. And mm -hmm. so the yawning, my my sense is that when the person's body feels safe, yeah. then it starts to let go of stuff. Yeah, yawn is very obvious, moving energy out of the body, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they're responding, maybe they're supporting, helping the client mm -hmm. to clear energy. Another <laughs> a couple of weird ones, like um, when the person is unloading a lot of toxic energy, the horses will like do the walk right past, you know, like as if they're scooping it up and then they go and do a poo, you know. <laughs> so Wow. Yeah. I love um, that. <laughs> I had years ago I was experimenting with um you know, I thought, well, maybe my horses can do Reiki. So I put a table in the middle of my round yard and I got, I, I experimented with some friends and then I started getting clients. And then I actually just got wrote up in a, in a flight magazine and I was getting interviews from people around the world. So, cause my horses were doing this weird <laughs> kind of Reiki thing. And <laughs> so there's, uh, so it, the round yard gates open, person lays on the table and then the horses choose to come in or not. And they, they just work on the client. So sometimes they lay down. Sometimes they touch parts of their body. Sometimes they run energy from head mm -hmm. to toe. So mm -hmm. it's quite interesting to see how the horses were working with energy. And this one time, this client came with a 12-centimeter tumor on her pancreas. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know at the time that, that she had pancreatic cancer. So she laid on the table. 12 horses came in, they surrounded her. And then one at a time, they stepped up and they scanned her from toe to head. And they went over to the rail, did a poo, 
resume their spot in the in the circle. Then the next one went toe to head, poo. Then the next one toe to head, all the way one by one around the circle. And the poo pile was like about two weeks worth of poo. Like I don't know where it came from. I'm sure that it was about skimming all the toxic energy mm -hmm. from chemo yeah. and everything out of her body, and they dumped it. Yeah, and the, a toxic and, dump for real. Yeah, and then the last horse stepped forward, and then with her nose, she pushed on the tumor. And she, just, <gasps> just pushed. and she just kind of pushed and pushed and pushed. And then that woman came back two weeks later. She uh, was in remission. She mm -hmm. was no longer having chemo. She had mm -hmm. put on weight. She had color in her face. She had energy. So who knows? You know, but right. But, so, all I can say is that there's a lot that the horses do that I don't have explanation for. Right. And these are all observations. And mm -hmm. um, anyway, so it was the horses did this work for a while. But the funny thing was, one day they just said, talk to the hoof. We're not doing it anymore. Really? <laughs> yeah. And what they said was, um, we can clear the energy block. But if the people don't change do their work that yeah. are creating that they got them in that situation yeah right so they said we want we don't want passive participation we want them to be actively involved in their recovery so <laughs> so they refused like i could not i could not drag them into the round yard like they just <laughs> so this is with an individual that they've been around before and they had experience that person it's not like they just stopped entirely it was just on no, no, they subsequent stopped they stopped entirely what do you what do you think <laughs> how did they know that they weren't doing the work what's your supposition on that i never thought about that um well, i mean I think, it that is interesting because you well, know I think, yeah i think it's just that as long as we are passive Right. nothing changes you know mm -hmm. we're just like yeah just give me a pill or just you know sure. do it for right. me, rather than me actively being involved in my own healing so mm -hmm. just a generalization that you know mm -hmm. they, you know I, I don't know how they talk to me but they do so they just said yeah you know it's passive and we want them actively involved mm. so so then i like my business stopped for about six weeks because everybody was booking in to have these these reiki healings from my horses and like okay. yeah, sorry, they're not doing it anymore mm -hmm. so I think it was about that time that I was uh I was doing my somatic experiencing training so that mm -hmm. was the step so that I could actually guide people through their healing journey rather than them being passive so the horses still gotcha. do that they okay still do, you know the scanning and the pooing and and mm -hmm. touching the body and um, you know, lots of different behaviors they do that surprise me. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, they do that work, but they do it differently. And of course, you know, the results are sustainable because the client is actively involved. involved. Right. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> That's interesting. Maybe they just needed to create a buzz about what was possible, but it's like, yeah, but we're, we're holding out until the rest of your herd does your part. <laughs> yeah so, so then you continued with the the se work then yeah good okay yeah so i integrated the se work and i observed my horses and i've worked with clients with se for i don't know i've worked with thousands of clients and um i like to observe you know patterns and you know, I just I just want to like refine this work so that you know you get the the biggest outcome for the smallest amount of effort. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I've taken Essie maybe to a, a little bit different level because I've had the support of the horses. Mm -hmm. And when uh, when I was doing my Essie training, I was also working using Essie with my horses. And when when we would catch up for our next module and we would compare notes and you're like, how's it going? And the biggest problem people had was, well, it's, you know, it's hard to actually get the momentum 
And I was really surprised because I said, my problem is slowing it down. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as people are around horses, their bodies can feel this, this energy field, mm-hmm. this, this therapeutic presence, this regulation that's just containing them. And the body goes, well, here's my chance. I'm just going to let it all out. Mm-hmm. So my job is like slow it down because you mm-hmm. don't want to overwhelm the autonomic nervous system. Right. So mm-hmm. it was just the opposite. And the only difference is that that was the, the horses were causing that. Hmm. Getting all, getting them excited and wanting to be there. I Have you ever worked with people that actually have trauma around animals or because of animals it was interesting i was at a barn yesterday working they're they're doing outreach work for people that were in they were in human trafficking young girls and some of them cannot come because some of their trafficking experiences sadly did involve animals and the trauma is there is there a way to overcome that have you had any experience with being able to still use equine therapy in trauma release where they're they've been a part of the trauma picture for them yeah um i i do a lot of work with sra survivors Mm -hmm. so similar sort of thing Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know safety is is the priority and giving them, giving the client uh, uh, control of the environment. So mm-hmm. how how close do we get? How far do we get? What if we what if we we put the horses in the paddock? Because the horses are still working on them. So we got to remember that energetically the horses are calming them down. Mm-hmm. And so um, I usually start with putting the horses. Um, in a paddock which is further away from further away so it's kind and of like exposure therapy in a cbt kind of. type of way yeah yeah okay and it's but it's keeping them in present moment so that mm-hmm. they're not being triggered by right. past memory right. and so it's observing the horses like how do you think those you know what do you think they're doing how do they feel what so you know most of my horses either you know lay on the ground and snore through the whole sessions or um <laughs> They're, they're, yeah, they, they, they stand there with their heads low and they're like in a trance and okay. they're resting on my leg and their eyes are closed and their lips mm-hmm. are droopy and so mm-hmm. you know it doesn't look like you know they're very ferocious and so <laughs> by observing them you know like what have a look at the horses and you know you probably know a lot about animals that you don't even realize when you see them what what's going on for them what what you know if you were to describe that scene what would it look like mm-hmm. and they always say, well, it looks peaceful. Okay, so when you say it looks peaceful, how do you notice that in your body? When you when you say peaceful, mm-hmm. what do you notice? Oh, my breathing is a bit deeper, or mm-hmm. I feel uh, a little less anxious. So mm-hmm. it's a much slower process, but you just start with the distance, and they mm-hmm. have control. And it's right. only when they say, yeah, I think I'm ready to, to yeah. move closer. You move closer and and giving them the power to say, I don't feel comfortable, I need to move away. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's right. Do you have you noticed that with some of the clients that you work with that um you might be able to pick up on their window of tolerance increasing more than they can actually cognitively realize and express? <laughs> the horses do that. Mm, <laughs> I, okay. I was uh working with a client once who who uh, had uh, some body memory of of something that happened to her, but she couldn't didn't have a cognitive memory of it. So uh, one of the uh, techniques in SE is that um, we check where the boundary violation was in her body. So um, I said, well, what if I if I walk back like you know maybe ten yards, and I'll take a couple of steps towards you and you know, and we'll experiment from different directions to see, you know, how did your body respond when I walk towards you from the right and from the left? And what if mm-hmm. I go straight? So, so you know, I'm walking towards her and she goes, oh, I'm fine. Keep coming. Keep coming. And I said, are you sure? And she said, yeah, yeah, keep coming. So I got closer and closer and closer. And one of my horses just came right in between the two of us. 
and and unfortunately you know I was obviously I was still learning I'm always mm -hmm. still learning sure. and so the horse just came in the middle of us and I'm kind of looking over the horse's rump going are you, you okay over there and she goes yeah I'm fine and she goes keep coming and so like okay you know she's telling me that she's okay and my horse knew she wasn't and my horse came in and interrupted us and so I ignored my horse and I just moved my horse out of the way because I listened to my client instead of my horse mm -hmm. <laughs> and it backed up my horse and I took another step towards my client and, and now I'm almost towering over her and she said you can hit me over the head with a ton of bricks and I wouldn't feel a thing like oh okay so you're out of your body now yeah okay mm -hmm. so so I just got her back in her body you know to, stand up and feel her feet and you know right. walk and back mm -hmm. in again um but the horse the point i'm making is the horse knew the horse knew before she did the horse knew before I what did. she could handle yeah and, yeah and so whenever whenever my horses do anything i obey that i listen you know i'm not gonna yeah. you know it, they know more than we do they can sense more than we do right you know they've been around for 60 million years and so a horse can can graze at a water hole next to or a zebra can graze at a water hole next to a lion and they know the difference between whether right. that lion is looking for its dinner it's or, hungry or not yeah and mm -hmm. so they can sense these nuances that we can't how do you know how do you know when one of your horses is ready because can you put a yearling or a two-year-old out there? Can Do they have to be bomb-proof and dead broke? How do you know when they're safe and ready and dialed in to be able to do this work? Um, well, that's a big question. And um, I've started horses like from either four months old, well, not four months old, he was young. Uh, we started him probably when he was an orphan and we started him probably at six months. And the difference is that <clears throat> there's a herd and so they take their cues from the herd and so the right. herd is helping them get a sense of what the heck are we doing here. Mm -hmm. um, I have off the track racehorses that, that come in oh, and, okay. and you know they're like, what, what's this about? And it takes them a while, but they're picking up the cues from the herd. So um, if you have a functioning herd, of course, it's, it's easier. But right. The bigger issue here is like, um, how do you create the conditions for the horses to do this work? And mm -hmm. my theories are a bit radical because mm -hmm. I believe that the horses shouldn't be ridden because when you ride your horse, you're asking, your, you're, you're basically dominating your horse. You know, right. You're, and you've taken their power away. Well, mm -hmm. if somebody's had trauma, their power's been taken away. Wow, you're right, yeah. So, you know, and a boundary, you violate the horse's boundaries when you just hop on their back and say, you know, we're, we're going to do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, you know, it's not congruent. Mm -hmm. Do that with your horse and then have a different model when you're working with clients. And so hmm. I decide, but the little voice in my head just started to, get louder and say well, okay well I have to I have to walk my talk and so mm. stop riding my horses hmm. and the other thing is that you know my horses have to be safe enough to be able to express themselves and so right. they might you know rub their heads on us they might back into us they might sometimes they if they nip it's it's just more like a, a snapping nip and mm -hmm. there's there's a reason for the nip. It's like mm -hmm. you know, get get back in your body. So mm. it, there's not a it, it, there's no intention to do harm, but that's just how they communicate. Mm -hmm. And so um, there they can be conditioned out of that. If you ride your horse and you have your horse in equestrian pursuit, your horses know like they're not to uh, turn their hindquarters to you, and they know that they have mm -hmm. to stand like little statues. And like I don't want that with my horses. I want them to have attitude. Total freedom. Yes them themselves. Mm -hmm. And I want them to feel completely safe to be who they are. 
without mm -hmm. any evidence or hmm. in any way. So that's kind of the bigger picture. And then they live in a herd. And so uh, they live as much as possible like a herd of wild horses. So mm -hmm. when they're sick at their work, they disappear. I don't see them till the next morning. And then they show up in the morning and they go, okay, we're ready to work. And then yeah, it's appointment time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, and let's get with the program. Like, right, right. And it's Monday. No, we're here to work. So, so, so. I, well, okay. So say you have your inbox and your agenda and they just show up. So you'd mentioned that your, your first meeting with with them in the group is kind of like we might bring two chairs out are are you in a round pen or a pasture um no i'm in a big open space it's about the size of a, it's an arena uh -huh. and then it's, it's um i've got three sheds uh that open into the arena so we can get in undercover so gotcha so there there's the no opportunity for the horses to graze or anything you've got no. yeah no. okay that's interesting because I was kind of wondering how that how that worked because you said that they are in a trance like state with their heads down. I was like, how do you keep them from grazing? So that makes sense. Um, well, you can keep in a paddock that that's you know the grass is like really grazed out. And yeah, the other thing sure. I do is I I give them a big meal before we start the day. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. They've got their tummy. And right. Then, you know, okay. Like that, you know? Good. Once right. Those, those basic needs met, then you can you can actually you know open up that, to do more right and they and then they're relaxed too sure so what would a further down the road session look like if at first they're just touching them or I mean like you said if it's somebody who's really got a very narrow window of tolerance where they're far away and observing them what would several sessions in be a typical session look like um, so the first session is, you know, introduction, getting the person comfortable and safe in the space. And then, and sometimes um, that happens in the first 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then just grab chairs and then let's go sit down. Because once you're seated, your body is, is feeling support, supported. Mm -hmm. And so you can track energy in your body more easily if your body is comfortable and it's supported. Mm -hmm. um, and also when you're seated, then the horses tend to come in closer to us because they get curious, don't they? Yeah. They get curious and maybe uh we're less confronting to them because mm -hmm. now we're seated and we're right low. down lower. Yeah. You know, we're safe, you know, to be around because you know we're now vulnerable, we're seated mm -hmm. for the come in. So mm -hmm. they they crowd around us mm -hmm. and um and then I would conduct a normal SE session. And so the horses are doing their thing while we're having this session. And mm -hmm. so sometimes they walk between us. Sometimes, you know, they touch the person's body. Sometimes uh, they just get their behaviors. Like they might all line up in a row. Like, you know, uh, they just do how they, everything they do, um, I believe, you know, I start with the assumption that everything they do is a response to the novelty that's in their space. And the client is their novelty. Mm, and so, I like that. being prey animals, they need mm. to know the slightest shift in their environment to decide whether they're safe or not. Right. And so, their full attention is on the novelty, which is the client, mm -hmm. not the client. Right. I'm, I know they're taking their cues from me, if I'm if I feel safe and comfortable with the client, then they're picking up on that too. For sure. So, so there is an element of that, but pretty much their their behaviors are in response to what they're paying attention to, which is the mm -hmm. client. Mm -hmm. So whatever they do, sometimes you know the horse at the bottom of the pecking order will have a go at the alpha mare. Well, that's not normal, you know. Like, and so I get curious about that. Like, mm -hmm. what might that mean? You know, I might explain. Mm -hmm. And then they might have a oh yeah you know that's what happens when my brother does something or other so they you know it helps them to mm -hmm. you know, uh, maybe see you know things that are going on in their lives in themselves yes yeah for real yeah yeah that's fascinating so 
they can even shift the pecking order in amongst the, the herd themselves. So they're not predictable. Every time it's completely different. Because what I yeah. thought was really interesting about what you said is when you were talking about the individual with the tumor, that they had done all of their things and then it was the final horse that actually touched that spot. Yeah. That is just wild to me. So every time it's different. Yes, yeah. Every time it's different. I had a had a um, couple came to see me one time, and they were visiting from Ireland, and they wanted to have a horse experience. It's a long mm -hmm. time ago, mm -hmm. and uh, so they came into the the space with the horses, and um. All my horses were standing completely chilled, you know, eyes closed, you know, just kind of chilling, except one. And he started darting all over the place, like running around, like without any direction. He was just darting. And so I'm having a conversation with my client. And I'm going, oh, my horse has like gone crazy over there. And so the horse kept scooping past us, you know, like to get our attention. And, and you know, he kept like brushing closer and closer, and finally it was like, "Well, this is a little dangerous." What yeah, right. And so, so I thought, in the interest of safety, I better put that horse out in the paddock. So I put him in the adjacent paddock. So it was just a fence between us or a gate mm -hmm. between us. It wasn't like you know he couldn't see what was going on. And then he started galloping around the paddock in a ladder of sweat, like frantic. <laughs> 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 And um, finally, the penny dropped, and I said to my client, okay, you know, I brought the horse back in because I realized that the horse was worse out in the paddock than he was when he was with us. Mm -hmm. so I brought him back in, and I turned to my client, and I said, what's going on in your life that is relentless, that has no off button and no direction? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we have a son with ADHD, mm -hmm. and he's... Uh, uh, yeah, we're thinking of uh, moving to Australia and leaving him in back in Europe. Mm. And mm. and so what was happening was my horse was picking up on the son's ADHD, mm. and the uh, moving the horse into the paddock stimulated, you know, when you create distance. Distance, right, right. And so, so mm. the um the man and the couple. He, he chose to go into the round yard and my horse followed him in and the man started walking around and as soon as he started to walk the horse lowered his head and just followed him wherever he went like a dog you know just he was fine you know calm he down. needed the father presence to be calm yeah, yeah. and he needed the direction so mm -hmm. as long as the father was guiding him around he was happy <laughs> and this mm -hmm. is not my horse by the way that's not his personality at all so so, um, so yeah, and then when, when the man stopped to have a conversation with me and he took his attention off the horse, the horse just went crazy again. And so he had to go and like rescue my horse. So he went back and he's walking around and now my horse is pushing him. Like, you know, it's like you, that give him an inch and he takes a mile kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So this is what their son's doing. You know, like they, they give yes. their son so much and then he wants more and then he wants right. more. And so my horse was absolutely playing at that whole scenario. And mm. so the point of this is that that's not my horse. That I've never seen him do that. And he's probably the laziest horse I have. And mm -hmm. he can't move fast for anything. And mm -hmm. so it's just completely out of his character uh, as I know him. So mm -hmm. I never know how my horses are going to respond because they just pick up on what's going on for the client and I don't mm -hmm. know who they are when they're doing that you know I can't describe their personalities because they just take on different you know, right energy. yeah so they came for a horse experience when all of that happened and you kind of learned more what was their takeaway and did that affect their decision making absolutely so they realized they can't leave their son in in Ireland and migrate to Australia Right. And they realize that they need to give their son some direction, but they have to have better boundaries. Mm, so, still still give leadership. 
right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. How, how, do you remember how old the son was? Oh, I don't know. They said he was an adult. Yeah, he was an adult. I work with, um, I do neurofeedback and I get calls from concerned parents that are still overseeing adult children or they're at the 18, 19 year age where they're ready to launch and parents are still very much having, having to lead because of the dysregulation of the individual, right? Hmm, very, very interesting. But what's interesting about that is you put that individual with a horse mm -hmm. and they're start to entrain to that horse's rhythm and right. calm them down. And mm -hmm. um, in those situations, I would recommend that the parents also um, have sessions with the horses too. Mm, absolutely. Their nervous systems are calm. Of course, you know mm -hmm. that everything is, you know, feeds off each other. Mm -hmm. And so the parents have to have really calm, regulated nervous systems, as you know, Right. For the children to be able to settle. Yeah. No, it's it, it families are just another herd on a smaller scale. And it's the same thing when I'm when I'm training kids on neurofeedback, I have to say dad has to do this, mom has to do this, the siblings have to do this if you want the success of that individual to um because we're syner it's synergy again. And everybody rises together that way. So I just do it with people. And uh, there, I see a lot of co-regulation happening too. But I just absolutely am so fascinated about, I mean, I always knew there was something very special and such a natural healing connection with horses. I grew up in Southern Alberta, Canada. And, you know, when we'd be out on some camping trips, I don't know where we were, probably somewhere between... Um, you know, central Alberta crossing into the British Columbia border. And I remember staying somewhere next one night next to a herd of wild Mustangs. And it was the most fascinating imprinting <laughs> experience of my life as a kid. And there was a storm going on and there was a lot of activity happening, but um, I never think I'd ever felt more alive and connected with nature than I did in that moment. Yeah. There's yeah. just a different, different level of aliveness and energy. I don't, I don't know how else to describe that, but well, so you're never going to retire, are you? You're just going to continue to grow and learn because every day is so exciting in what you're doing. Okay. Um, I'm, I moved a couple of years ago to a, um, a property that was undeveloped. So I bought 80 acres undeveloped. Uh -huh. you know, Sounds like and, a lot of work. <laughs> and um, before I, and so I've, I've had sheds built and all sorts of infrastructure put in. But before I did that, um, I contacted a friend of mine who's an animal communicator, um, lives in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, like, uh, uh, do my horses want to keep doing this work? Because I'm not going to invest in this this property and this infrastructure if my horses don't want to keep doing this work. <laughs> and she said what they told her was that uh, they're with me because I let them get their work done. And if I didn't, they would just find another human. <laughs> oh, oh. So it, it just. It, it makes me reflect on like, who are these beings really? Who are mm -hmm. they? Mm -hmm. Obviously, they have a, a purpose for being here. I'm talking horses in general. Right. Their purpose is more than just being a beast of burden or something to entertain us with. That, you know, they're, they're, they do those things because that gives them an opportunity to connect with us. And mm -hmm. that's when they got to do their work. <laughs> right. Well, it, they feel a purpose too. And yeah, that's, that's really, it's really interesting because I know people that struggle with anxiety and depression issues and like the individual after the bushfires that you described was like, I can't do life anymore. 
And so, you know, without, without purpose and vision, people perish. And so I would imagine that horses feel that kind of same way. Yeah. I think they, uh, when they reach that, that sense of hopelessness, they just dissociate. They just, nobody, mm -hmm. they just exist in this. They know they're going to the glue factory. Do they do that in um, Australia? What do they do with horses when they're just needing to be put down? Um, well, sometimes they get the uh, the people from the slaughterhouse to come mm -hmm. and collect the horse, and then they they shoot them on on yeah the site right they, yeah yeah I, I bury my horses. Sorry. You do, you they're they're on your property. Yeah yeah, yeah. I I'm. I'm I'm agreeable with that for sure. Wow. Well, I don't want to end on a sad note for sure, but what, what do you think people can do to kind of start maybe doing this on their own? Can it be like there is not currently a somatic experience practitioner anywhere in our area, which is interesting. You're in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm in Melbourne, Florida. So that was fun, fun to learn about. But um you know, do you think, I I mean, I can see it happening, whether they're having, you've got young, young girls that are so drawn to horses and to have a mane to cry into. Um, do you think that there's, you know, just enough natural skill and understanding that people can kind of do some of these things on their own, even with, if they don't have a horse using themselves a person another animal to kind of help with that co-regulation because I mean there's just something about petting your pet yeah right well, I think that um it's important to have some uh trauma training to mm -hmm. be able to contain and support the client's experience right I agree was I saw that that people needed more support and I needed more skills to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So so those skills have to be there, you know, mm -hmm. to be able to support the client because as soon as the client is with the horses and as soon as their bodies feel safe, then mm -hmm. it's a natural thing for the their body to do is to start releasing and then start unpacking. Like, yeah. And yeah. going through some of those old files. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't know how to contain it and regulate that mm -hmm. client, then mm -hmm. just down then that client could get overwhelmed right so, so you need that so whoever is the practitioner would need to have some mm -hmm. trauma skills so that they mm -hmm. uh that they're skilled enough that they can right well i'm inspired to learn more and hopefully i mean there's different therapists within 45 minutes of where i am but they're you know they're one's a nurse practitioner and she's merging, you know, medications and supplements and cognitive behavioral therapy. But I just, from what I've seen, I, I have um, chronic Lyme disease. And so I've had to do a lot of alternative non-allopathic type of work. And a lot of it's been a lot of work in energy medicine and understanding. And I'd wish I had known, I got, bitten by ticks horseback riding in the state of Oklahoma and woke up and couldn't bend my fingers and went to the rheumatologist and was told there's no Lyme disease in the state of Oklahoma. So I did not get treatment. So I've had to do a lot of work outside the box, outside the traditional medical model, um, just because medications, one, weren't helpful for me. And two, I think I had, I had more going on. Lyme is very complicated. Um, but I wish that I had known 20 plus years ago that the very first thing that I should have worked on was rehabilitating my brain and central nervous system before I'd done a diet, a medication, a supplement, spent money on cognitive therapy or all these other types of therapies and protocols. I wish that I'd started addressing my central nervous system and I, you know, and I work with people in neurofeedback, I, I'm very cognizant of what they're dealing with. Cause we, we visit 
and I'm also a brain health coach, but that trauma is on a spectrum. And sometimes we compare ourselves with, um, you know, I'm, I don't deserve or have a right to feel that bad because this didn't happen to me. And so I think if um, people have some takeaways from listening to you today is that there's, there's a lot of healing in working with animals and it can be so simple as just observing them. And then when you're ready, then go deeper. And, and it is up, it it is up to the individual. So it's beautiful that I like that you kind of waltz this waltz with them and see when they're ready and and the horses tell you like, how fascinating is that? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I love, I love, love, love your work. And thank you so much for sharing today. And if you want to send some links over, if you want to share right now how people can get in touch with you or if they're local or want to be like the people from Ireland and come and see you, how what's the best way to get in touch? Um, well, I have three websites. Mm-hmm. One is called seahorse.com. There's no A in it. So it's S-E for somatic experiencing, seahorse.com. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's my therapy work. Okay. FreeWingAustralia.com is another website that I have, which is more general and, and it's mm-hmm. more directed at groups. And then another website I have is Center for EO. Um, it's Center, C-E-N-T-R-E. R-E, the British way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's, uh, that's my uh, training website. So I train people how to do this work and incorporate a lot of the principles of somatic experiencing and how we actually, uh, you know, bring in the horses and start. Right. Okay. Well, I know that's probably the website I'm going to go to is learning about the training, whether it's for me or someone else, but I would love to bring that to this area. So Miss Cindy, thank you so, so much and blessings on all your work and this new year ahead. Okay, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate um, your listeners and your time. And yeah, go well. Yeah, thank you. Enjoy your horses today. I know you're off to see your farrier. (laughs) Okay, take care. Okay, thank you. Bye Bye for now.